brought to you by Brass and Unity. We make wearable conversation starters. Our new buddy check packs are available now. Grab one and check on one of your closest buddies. They may need it now more than ever. Go to brassandunity.com, use the code UNITY, and get 20% off. And let's all heal together. And brought to you by Combat Flip Flops. Bad for running and even worse for fighting. Combat Flip Flops are your ticket to the unarmed forces by providing you with military-inspired quality footwear for men and women. To help support the podcast and in support of women in developing countries, head over to combatflipflops.com and become a part of their unarmed forces today. Be sure to use the code UNITY at checkout and get 25% off. And brought to you by GFDA. Good fucking design advice. The voice in your head and the foot up your ass. GFDA makes prints, drinkware, and apparel for people who want to do their fucking best. Go and use the code UNITY and get 10% off now on anything on their site, including our collaborative product, Fucking Help Somebody. And brought to you by Daisy May Hat Co., the custom hat company based in Nashville, Tennessee. They make custom one-of-a-kind hats from wide-brimmed fedoras to cowboy hats. All of their hats are 100% beaver felt, and it's the highest quality hat you can get. They also have the coolest shirts ever. You can use the code BRASS at checkout for 15% off your entire order. Go and check out daisymayhats.com. Embrace the fever. Live the dream. Okay, Jonathan Wechter. Also, a.k.a. Jason Momoa-looking kind of dude. Tarzan, what? something of the above. That's right. Welcome to the show, man. How you doing? Good. Thank you for having me. Oh, you are so, so welcome. I was very excited when I started to learn about you through Nikki, who is our lovely social media girl. She does incredible work, but she also has some really cool people around her. And I said, you know, I want someone who give me somebody who like really is trying in their life. Like, give me somebody who's got some substance. And she's like, oh, I got just the guy for you. That's fair. Uh, I love Nikki. She's such a sweetheart. Um, since the dam and her and Nick, we kind of just all took off together. Actually, it's not true. Nick and I kind of butted heads for a little, for a few years, actually. We didn't know each other too well, but just kind of had like that, that fuck this guy type of stigma until we Nikki kind of broke down the barrier between the two of us at a party. And then it just kind of took off from there. Which is weird because you guys are military members. You guys are all of one kind, but is it, was it an ego thing? It was more so him and I are so similar in the sense that uh, I don't associate myself with military or like, I'm not big into veteran groups or anything like that. I don't really hang around too many veterans and that's just, uh, it just kind of found my way, I guess that to be that found, how I found it to be, at least I didn't uh, feel like veteran groups. I, I belonged. I never even really felt like too much in the military. I was like, this is, this is it. Like I, like, don't even, I love the job, but I never felt like necessarily I was one of the homies or the boys or whatnot. I had my boys, but I always just knew I was a little bit different. So I think that's kind of where Nick and I butted heads in the sense of like, I was like, oh, he's a veteran. I'm, I'm good. Like, and he kind of got the same sense like, oh yeah, he's probably a douche too. So like, it's. <laughs> oh, that's fantastic. That's interesting. Cause I, um, more often now when I hear people talk about this and I hear other vets express the same sentiment is that they didn't really feel like they fit into a group very well, or they didn't feel like they were bros or that click or whatever it is in the community people 
some don't want to acknowledge that there is, and there just is, it's just the reality there is, if you're not part of the group, it's hard to feel part of the group. Um, So I can see how that you and Nick would have interacted that way for sure. Um, But what I was going to mention to you was not to bring it up, but you were a ranger in the 75th. Yes. What made you get into the military? Was that like a family thing that you had going um, my father was in the Navy, but it wasn't anything like that. It was more so I grew up in, uh, Philadelphia, Pennsylvania and the East coast. It's just kind of embedded in you at young through history of like independence and how we fought for this. And you take pride in this and, uh, all that. It's like super different here in California, even just talking to people, but that's like really embedded in us, at least in like the Northeast. Um, so my parents were very patriotic Grew up Roman Catholic, the whole shebang, and uh, I'm the oldest son. So I have an older sister, but I have three younger siblings. And with a proud, patriotic family, it just kind of felt like it was the natural thing to do. I just didn't really have a call to anything else in life besides going and doing something to protect my family in that sense. What year did you join? 2011 is when I went in. Okay. So you were... You, you got in the year I got out. Yeah, I think it was the same with Nick. I think he got right out after I went in. You joined the military. You got out in 2011. And got so in. you got in in 2011. I got out in 2011. And then how long did you serve for? I was in until 2016. Okay. So you went, how old were you when you joined the military then? 18. Oh, man. Mm-hmm. Fresh out of high school. Oh, baby. Yeah. Yeah. Did they get you in a classroom or did they get you in uh, out in a oh, parking lot? I went in. I was, they didn't need to come to me. I went to them and my parents like, so at the same time, my sister was about to take off to college. My younger brother was starting to look into college. So like they're doing college visits and stuff. And I'm like, I need you guys to come to the recruiter's office, sign some paperwork. They're like, no, we're not going in. You got to bring them here. So I had to go get my recruiter, bring him to my house. And it was a whole thing, but that's, all I ever knew. I didn't take the SATs, nothing. I knew that's exactly where I was going to go. Oh, you knew in high school? Yeah. I knew since like 10th grade, exactly the avenue I wanted to go to. Wild. Jeez, man. Some kids do, some people know that. And I always wonder about that because that is something that I just, I, I don't know if I could have pictured when I was younger. Maybe it's because I'm Canadian and we're not you know, we don't get as much as you guys get of that, just like military pride, like, you know, nation. We don't have that. We're like, we love Canada. Yeah, chill out, everybody. There's nothing wrong with that either. Like, we definitely abuse the shit out of everything we do. So, like, there's nothing wrong with Canadians being, like, our chill neighbors. It's all good. The communist neighbors now. Um, So, (laughs) so you got to, so... What made you want to go SF? Was that something like, did you always want to be a ranger? Or was that something that came to you when you kind of joined the military? I knew before I went in. So like I went to the recruiter's office, like this is what I'm doing. I'm not leaving until I have it. So like went to the MEPS and they were gave me the 40 option right away. So I was good to go. And I have to wait. How big were you when you graduated high school? I wasn't that big, actually. Like I was tall for sure, but maybe like 205. But right now I'm probably like 260. So like I definitely, and then when I got the basic training, I was like 180 pounds soaking wet. So. Okay. Cause I always wonder, cause when you see these people who are like, I went SF like right away, I'm like, what physical shape were you in that that was an option for you? 
I definitely played sports growing up. And then I had a summer before I went in, basically, where all I did all day was something geared towards getting myself ready for this, where it was like, wake up, walk to the gym, do some type of workout, walk home with a weighted pack, go swimming. Like my whole day was essentially geared around just prepping myself for this. You make this decision before high school? Not before high school, but like it's the 10th grade is when I made a decision. Then I actually signed on the dotted line in my junior year. Okay, so, like so you guys year, had what? Yeah, you had one of those programs where when you were in high school, you could kind of do stuff like that uh, transition. You could. I didn't. Uh, so it wasn't a program. It was just like when you're done high school, you go. But like they had the junior ROTC that stuff. I never did any of that. That wasn't. Nah, I wasn't with one of those kids. <laughs> did you play football? Lacrosse. Lacrosse. So even violent, even more violent. Yeah, we were a lacrosse family. Okay. Okay. Because I just had uh, I just had a writer on on Monday, Bruce McKenna. He did Band of Brothers mm-hmm. in the Pacific. And he was like, I was a very angry kid. And that's why I played lacrosse. I wouldn't say I was angry. It was just the most fun thing to play. Like, what, what's better than flying around and getting to hit people and just trying to put a – it's like soccer mixed with hockey. You just can't really be it. I know, but when you think about football, it's like, well, how often are you actually getting the ball all the time where it's like lacrosse is like you're violent with a stick and you have to run at a completely different pace. It's a completely different thing. Just let, that sounds like every teenager boy's dream, at least to me. I don't yeah. know. It's, Should be like a mandatory thing for all young males who are just like angry at the world to get into. We'll just start building a little Spartan race of people. I would probably do some people good. Speaking of that. Why do you look like a human Spartan man? I put a lot of time and effort into <laughs> looking like a human Spartan, I guess. And now okay. I just kind of think like it. Like I said, this this package wasn't always this. I wasn't some cool stud in high school. It wasn't it wasn't like that. Okay, so you went uh, you went seventy fifth with the Rangers, and then yes. deployment wise, what uh, what did your life look like that? Um, so we deployed every year, usually for four and a half months stints every year. Um, deployment life overseas was, uh, you can, you get in country, you're given your, what we call it, like a tree or branch of like, these are the top guys in this area. This is who we're going after. And usually your day spent either training up or if you're a private, you're getting trained up on different things. If you're a team leader, you're training up the privates, just with the 75th, you get an in, uh, private just coming in all the time. Like it's just, so it's constantly training someone new. and then. It's not like the training ever stops. It's just you just get more proficient in the job the more and more you train. So even overseas, there's a lot of training into going out on target, working out, different things. Um, it was pretty stressful as a private in the 75th to be deployed just because you're around your team leaders all the time now. So, like, what else does a team leader have to do overseas besides smoke the shit out of his private? So you got pretty strong and uh, you got some good mental fortitude overseas for sure. Isn't that the truth? My God, I, I remember very clearly somebody making a fuck up on the American fall on the American fall we were at, and I have never seen someone smoke another person like that before. And I don't even know if we were allowed to do that in Canada to our people, or maybe I just never ever saw it. I'm sure we did it at a higher level, but where I was at, like that didn't happen. 
and it looked terrifying. And when you guys talk about that, why don't you give everyone a little description of what that can look like potentially? So actually when I first graduated uh, Ranger Assessment Selection Program, I deployed right away. Like graduation, wow. we were like, hey, you're going right overseas. Cause I went to the second time they deployed in uh, the summer. Went right overseas and I don't think I did a thing for my first month over there besides just be doing push-ups, sprints, running up steps, bear crawling. You're just treated like human dog shit, but it's all for a purpose just because they want to make sure that everything goes fucking wrong on target. This guy's not going to turn and burn. So it was all with a purpose that like you trust the process, you're willing to put in the work of it all and you know it. It's going to come to an end eventually. And that's like your shining light. But the end doesn't come until you go to ranger school. So, like, you just don't want to focus on, like, I have to endure this for, like, a year and a half, two years at the time. Where it's, like, that's really how it is. Yeah, they used to, like, put guys up against the wall and make them hold out their, you know, their C7s and just stay there till they puke in the heat. Like, they would do some shit to people. Oh, we in. It just depends on the team leader, too. Like, some team leaders were more chill than others and whatnot, but the fire breathers is what we called them. Like, it would just be a matter of we always knew who was the first one to puke. So we knew we had to make sure we just got to the point where he puked. And then, like, usually it, like, was like, all right, everyone fucking get out of here type of thing. But, like, we're just, like, waiting, like, dude, come on, like, puke, come on, let's get this fucking over with. You needed that. You needed one guy in the platoon or in the group to just right. like the guy that could puke on command and make him yeah, practice exactly. that. That would be a party yeah. trick. That would be useful. Um, but it's I, I like to talk about that because when people were listening and they're, you know, they're talking about like things like what they do for training and, and they're hearing it, they're going, what does it mean to get smoked? It's like, oh, <laughs> there's levels to this shit. <laughs> yeah, there's definitely levels to it. I think uh, that's going to special operations, you're probably going to see the highest level of it that you could possibly imagine. But like I said, it all comes with, like, in the moment it sucks, but it just comes with very good mental fortitude reward once it's done with. And you can look back and, like, that's always been something I could always look back on in life, like going through the hardest times with certain squad leaders or team leaders or different things like that. It's like I made it through all that time with them where I would show up to work every day with anxiety. I'm just like, how am I going to get treated today? What's this? Is going? How's it going to go? Am I just going to get? Is he going to come and piss from the weekend? And just start smoking the dog piss out of us? You know what I mean? Like that. Where it's just so many different intangibles, especially at that level too, where you don't necessarily realize it right away, but there's like there's you don't go in those communities and there's not rampant PTSD either. So like. You don't know what type of person you're getting day to day in and out, especially when like you're you're newer and you don't that shit's not as prevalent to you, or like you eventually start picking it out like he didn't sleep at all last night because of blah 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 or this, or like you just kinda there'd be guys sleepwalking on deployment, like through the whole compound, like talking to themselves and shit like that. You know what I mean? So it's just like you don't you just like push through that stuff in the moment, but then you look back, you're like, that dude was fighting so many demons and he was just taking it out on us. So oh, I I'm glad you bring that up though. Um, you know, leadership and command and the way that people treat people very often we now understand now is just a projection of how the individual is feeling. And um I can't even imagine being in a room with that many high-level operators who have had that much time deployed. And the 
the depths of the of of the despair and the heartbreak and the and the anger in that person and then I mean look at when people come home and they have kids like there's so many people I've spoken to where they're like, I didn't realize how bad my PTSD was or my PTS until my kids started to tell me they were like afraid of me or, right. you know, and so the, the closest person's going to get it. So it's, I, I understand why you got it. And obviously there's a lesson in that, but it's the way when, like you said, you look back and you see the damage that it had to have done to somebody to survive like that every single day. Um, it, it doesn't, again, it doesn't surprise me for your deployments. What was that like? Where'd you end up going? Uh, I was in Afghanistan, all my deployments. Uh, so I got in right when basically Iraq kind of like took a pause and shut itself down. And then Afghanistan started booming again. We had a research in Afghanistan. So that's when I got in. So I did deployments with the 75th and then with uh, private contractor companies when I got out all to Afghanistan as well. And you were with Blackwater? Yes. Yeah. How was that? Because that's got a reputation. Um. I'm sure its reputation is pretty accurate to what it is, the type of guys. I was with Blackwater up until last year, actually. So I was in Afghanistan until June, and then the shutdown was August. So I was one of the last people to be in Afghanistan, actually, with the company and just in general. Um, Contracting life is completely different than military life. Like you, the, the things that you take for granted in the military side, you come back and you're in the contracted life. It's like you just spent, you know, five, six months overseas and you come back and now you're not with anyone you're overseas with. Like in the military, you come back with your unit and then you all kind of decompress together. You party together, you do whatever. But contracting life, you're just thrown back into the society and they're just like be a normal human being again. There's no... You know, someone like, hey, go to this therapy, go to this, go to that, these checks and balances. It's just, nope, go out in society and try and be a normal human being. And that comes with so many challenges and just facing people that it's hard to put into words at times where you're just like, it just freeze in front of people where you're just like, I don't even know how to respond to you without just being an overly passionate, like, aggressive asshole which is like what you're just taught to be so like that was a big that was actually one of the biggest lessons in from contracting was just like learning how to turn the switch on and off because it's very important thing it's a very good tool when you know how to turn it on and off compared to just constantly being on when did you decide to leave the military at what point like why why did you leave and decide to go contracting instead um, so I actually had a pretty bad taste in my mouth leaving the military when I did. So, um, I was after my se- uh, second deployment with uh, range regiment, I just, I didn't get to take leave. It just sent me to ranger school to become a, to go become a team leader, which at the time I was all for, because my squad leader, I was like, you get to be done with him then. Like, I don't have to be treated like a private anymore, essentially. So you're excited to go to ranger school. Like I said, I didn't get to take um, post-deployment leave. So like I got back from deployment and went right to ranger school, which anybody knows ranger school, it's at least 63 days of just starving in the sea. So at um, the pre-ranger course, went to ranger school, got kicked back, but then you get to, you can just recycle back into what we call CERT, which is small unit ranger tactics. It's like our pre-ranger ranger school. Went back was there and then during the weekends you're just kind of released to go do whatever they just ask that you come sleep in the barracks 
I wasn't sleeping in the barracks. There was a couple, like a bunch of us that weren't sleeping in the barracks. We were going out and partying or drinking or doing whatever post-deployment guys do. I don't have to go into too much detail for you to figure it out, I'm sure. <laughs> um, so we weren't. And then someone actually in my company ratted on all the guys who weren't showing up. He was just, Nick. he wasn't your typical ranger. He was, everything was, was just a little off. This guy was always just a little off. And so we snitched this out. And then myself and 13 other Guys who were just waiting and trusted to become team leaders all got kicked back from Ranger Regiment. Before we even got kicked, like sent back, it was already all the way up the flagpole of like some story about us, like basically being like, fuck you, we're going to go do whatever we want, which wasn't the case. So they were like, come down on these guys hard. So they, what they call in Ranger Regiment is an RFS, which you get removed from Regiment, but you can go back and as long as you go through the proper steps or pipeline, you can just go right back to Regiment, which it, it happens quite frequently. I had two squad leaders that had been RFS dude, like DUI or something along that. But just since I was snitched on, I was like, I'm not feeling this anymore. I don't want to go back there. That's for sure. And it just, after that, it just kind of left a sour taste in my mouth where I was like, uh, I just want to go to school. I kind of want to do my own thing for a bit, not realizing all the shit that then comes with that. Did you get a conversation or uh, tools in the toolbox or a direction when you were getting out of the military? Any sort of advice or anything? They try. They definitely try. But... I was 22 years old, about to get out of the military. You couldn't tell me shit then. You just, I, I didn't give a fuck, honestly. Like, it was just, what is the point of way from point A to B and get me there now? Like, that's all I really cared about. Just get me the fuck out of here. I don't give a fuck about what you're trying to help me with or setting me up. I got it. I'll figure it all out. And it's the wrong way to go about it, for sure. But that's just how I was then. It's interesting to hear you say that no one could have, told you different because I mean I know there is there's definitely an attempt now more than there ever was when I got out um, they would rather you sign the paperwork and get out because then they don't have to pay you they don't have to look after you you're not their responsibility right so they're like just sign this and you can leave it's that simple but then when you have one or two people around you that go if you sign that this is what you don't get this is the help you'll never receive this is all of these things right and it's sad it's sad to hear that because it seems like if somebody would have taken the time to kind of sit you down and like talk to you about it it might have made things a little a little easier to come out of and did you did you ever have anybody talk to you about or did you notice anything within yourself that was starting to become a problem in terms of PTS? Not while I was in the military, no, because my aggression was applauded. So, like, uh, when I went and I I did a year at the 82nd where it was just, I kind of just filled it in gaps for them type of thing. and just helped them out with different things. It just, then none of the guys in that platoon or company were deployed. So having combat experience was just, like, very beneficial to have around. It just, like, but, like, I was the guy that, you know, the squad leaders would come up and be like, yo, bang that dude up. Like, go smoke that dude for this. Go smoke. I was that guy. So I got to get all my aggression out on just taking it out on whoever I wanted. It was applauded. Like, I was known as that guy, I guess, in that term or just. And just because I had the scroll and the deployment, no one really fucked with me to a level that normal people did. I was, I'm not, I'm just completely honest. When I was in the 82nd, I was a complete shitbag. 
Like I just kind of did what I wanted in the sense of like, not all the time, but like I got in trouble a lot, like with Sergeant majors and brass and like, just, and you, like I said, you couldn't tell me shit then. I was just like, cool, man. Just, I'm literally here until I get the fuck out. So you were over it. I certainly was. So that's like when the time came of like these other people trying to help me and very nice people, you know, it's not like they were assholes or not trying to inform me or anything like that. It was just, I don't care. Get me out the door as fast as possible because I'm done with this. Right. What brought you to contracting? Was that something you, well, I, a lot of you guys, and I say you guys, I mean, your SF dudes, it seems like that's the path. You either get completely out and do nothing to do with military or that kind of life at all, or you go contracting. So I got introduced in the contracting world just through executive protection work where um, we were just doing little gigs here and there while I was in college, going to school. And uh, so we have your winter break and your summer break. So during that time, I had actually um, linked up with a client who I was still one of my clients today, who I'll travel to India with every year, usually twice a year. And it just worked out where winter and summer is when he needed me. So in between classes, I could just go. And then COVID hit and my, I couldn't take my in-person classes anymore, which was like anatomy, physiology, things like that, the labs and whatnot. So then I just picked up contracting full-time. It was a pretty easy step in the door of Blackwater with my resume and things, multiple deployments and things like that, and just other things I've done outside of the military. And then that was a pretty quick process. Actually, the recruiter for Blackwater was the brother of someone who I was actually boys with in my platoon, funny enough, who I had deployed uh, with. Him. So he was just like, oh, yeah, you know my brother, blah, blah, blah. Cool, you're in the door. Yeah, you know the human Spartan? Do you want him to work for you? He's available. <laughs> like I said, I got the, this is a whole different persona when I got out of the military. So, like, when I was in, I was that 18-year-old figuring shit out, you know what I mean? Until you got your wherewithal, and then once I got out, it just, everything changed. So what did you do in between the military and contracting? schools uh yeah so when i first got out of the military it was just go to school and party it was a lot of abusing different things and basically so growing up roman catholic growing up like pretty i was a pretty strict household i only drank a few times in high school never smoked weed nothing like that not that i couldn't have i just really had no desire to do it so then when you get out of the military and like, you know, like I said, you couldn't tell me shit. I was Mr. Invincible. Like I, blah, blah, blah. Like I felt like I, I was basically invincible. You're young, you're stupid. You come back from multiple deployments. Different things should have happened on deployments that didn't. You get, you get a big head about it. You know what I mean? So basically just started abusing and doing any drug I get my hand on. Just constant partying each weekend or going to music festivals and just basically felt like now being around a group of like friends that I knew in high school and whatnot that I was starting to grow with was like, I had to live up to this persona of being the special operations dude who's fucking. So I'm always trying to take the most, always trying to do part of the hardest dude that, you know, that type. And that just, that ran its course until probably for a good year and a half, good year and a half. It was pretty out of control. You're lucky that you survived that course. <laughs> I am. I'm pretty lucky. Uh, funny enough, if, like one of the things that during that time period that I was introduced to for the first time, psychedelics is what saved me from it all. Who brought psychedelics into your life? Uh, 
just a friend going to a music festival. You know, we were, these music festivals like eight to 12 hour days, you know what I mean? And you're taking drugs throughout the whole day. And then one buddy was just like, yo, dude, this one tab of acid will last us eight hours and it's 10 bucks. It's like, done deal, sign me up. Done. That was in New York City. That was the first time I ever took a psychedelic was LSD. Oh, shit. So you went for it. There was never not going for it. Okay. Yeah, that was the mentality, which is like, if we're doing it, we're doing it. Like, it was to the point of, like, grams of multiple things every day at these music festivals. It was just, like, down the hatch. How hard can you go? How hard can we send it? And, like I said, it was just the mentality of a 22-year-old that you couldn't tell shit to. And now I'm invincible and out of the military and free, and I get to do whatever the fuck I want. And I had no direction. So my direction was, let's fucking party. When you look back at this, or even then, did you find yourself noticing that these was this was a behavior that you were trying to run away from, from issues, from deployments? I just felt I obviously had a pretty big uh, like resentment against everything that happened getting out. You know what I mean? Like especially going into the seventy fifth, that being everything I ever wanted to have been told, like, hey you got to get the boot for a little bit. You can come back, but still like just for the way that it all happened, I was like, that's, that's not supposed to happen here. I thought we were all in this shit to get, we, I was on deployments with that dude. Why is he not being kicked out? And I am like that, that was my, like, aren't we all supposed to be in this? Like, that's kind of the taste I had where I was like, and like I said, there was more politics into it at the time that I could you know, wrap around to me, it was just like plain and dry, like, no, fuck that. Like I did multiple deployments for you guys and this is how I get treated. Like I didn't do anything compared to what actually happened was word of mouth got up to the highest ranking guy before anything came down. And then reprimand was like, no, we have to set a standard of show guys how they're going to be, you know, treated if they do these types of things or whatnot. So like, it's just, it took me a while to look back and even accept that on my, because like no one even wants to have that. No one wants to have that on their career of just like, oh yeah, I was actually given the boot for a little bit. You know what I mean? So like even that, like I would almost try to suppress that and hide that aspect of it where I was just like, no, not everything was cool. Like, but you just learn that that's just fucking life. Shit just happens. And at the end of the day, it took me to sit there and reflect on it, to look back and be like, if I didn't, put myself in that situation, I wouldn't have been there. As much as I felt that I deserved to go party and do whatever after this deployment, if I did the right thing, I would never got kicked out. Do you think that the behavior though stemmed from trying to cope with other things? Yeah, there's a lot of things. I mean, like I said, like for four years, I was told maximum aggression when these situations come up. What do you do when someone shoots at you? You shoot back three times as hard and you suppress them and then you start you know, that's your way of thinking through everything where it becomes robotic and all your training has to do with aggression. And they show this type of aggression, you got to up it, you know, that type of, so it was just then not having anywhere to place all this basically brainwashed aggression, which is like, that's what you have to have. Like if you're in, in special operations, you have to be so bought into everything going on because there's such a heavy demand of like what you're supposed to do and what you're asked to do that if you're not completely in it, which some guys necessarily aren't, those are the guys who get kind of fucked up in the head the worst. Either they get hurt or somebody else gets hurt. 
exactly and that's everything like that's exactly what they're trying to put you through all their stuff is make sure you're not going to be a guy to freeze in the moment i mean nothing can actually fully prepare you when things happen in real life and shit actually starts happening but they do a pretty good job of you just do it so much and so much and so much that when it actually happens it's just like muscle it, memory muscle memory and then it's done and you're like holy fuck like that just ha-, like those were just you know like it's mm-hmm. it's just so drilled in you there it's you're not you're just i mean you accept and we totally believe that we were like oh no we're spartans like we're the modern day spartans like this is all we do we're bred to go kill people and we wanted to that's what we all wanted to do all we want to do is go out and kill bad guys that's it like, there was no other repercussion to it no thinking like years down the road what's this going to lead to so when you're bombing villages and you know going through pieces of little kids and shit like that you're just you're here i, I want to kill bad guys and i want to do this shit i signed up for this shit i want to keep doing it and you don't think about the repercussions of how it's gonna look or make you feel later on in life or how you view those things and when you slow down, like, like, you know, you talked about getting out of the military. It's when you slow down that it all creeps up, right? Oh, absolutely. The silence is the loudest. You said, that's that's, what, sorry, go ahead. No, you can go ahead. I said, I was going to say, um, <clears throat> before we started recording, you said something to me that uh, we were, just, we were talking briefly about how I have a son and how you want to have multiple kids and things like that down the road. And, um, I said, you're a good person. And then you replied with, I have to be to make up for all of the things I've done. And fuck, man, you are not the only guy to say that to me. And that's what's terrifying and also heartbreaking at the same time. I think it's uh, the way I've kind of coped with it, I guess, is um, doing very heavy heroic doses of psychedelics and i think there's a very big fake wokeness in the world right now people think they're woke just because they're aware that the government doesn't have their best interests in mind oh yeah no fucking shit i could have gone in any period of time and told you that like that's not what being woke is being woke is an understanding like what the parameters of this life actually is and it's not this super sick California SoCal where I live where people are just in their own fucking bubble and so naive and they don't have any sense of reality to what life actually is. And they think like these, they're, uh, someone being hit by a car is like the most traumatic thing in the world. It's like, no, that's just fucking odds. Like you want to go see traumatic, I'll take you to India with me and I can show you people starving to death by the thousands. Like, that's a part of life. That's what being woke is, realizing that this shit is, like, not in our hands for a lot of the part. What is in our hands and we can control, we typically just don't even generally give a fuck about because it's just so all about me here and what do I want and what is in my parameter and keeping things positive and blah, 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 blah. That shit just makes me want to throw the fuck up when I hear someone talk. Oh, I don't let negative energy, blah, blah. It's so then you don't know what balance is. If you're only trying to be positive, then you don't know what balance is. And you're living your life as out of whack as someone who's in depression and only focus on the negative. Because without balance in life, you're not going to be able to, you know, actually find growth within these certain hardships in life and whatnot. If you're just trying to suppress all the hard things out of your life. So I just think, 
so at least for me, there was just the wokeness came with like actually putting it all together and finding out what the universe was really all about and what the universe basically told me was about was like everything. Cause I, as every person does, like I said, I grew up super Roman Catholic, believed in God. You eventually get to that point where you're like, what the fuck? Like, why is all this ha- Why are you allowing this shit to happen? And the universe really fucking humbled me really humbled me in that moment when I was, you know, just on a lot of psychedelics and like had those questions, like how could you allow this shit to happen? Like with kids and all these different things and blah, blah, And the universe basically like looked back down and was like, who the fuck do you think you are? Like I'm everything. I know everything that happens. I feel it all. I do it all. I am it all. As good as I am is as evil as I am. The only thing is you put it in a certain perspective because you're a human being. You have no idea what's really fucking going on. You're just an ape that's intel that's the most intelligent thing on your planet. What's happening in the grand scheme of things, like I'm ending life by the billions, trillions right now. Who the fuck are you to question anything I do? And I was like, wow, no, you're right. I am just a human. I do have these unique experiences, but my traumas aren't unique. They're just my traumas. Like, is like to have trauma isn't unique. So, like, the way it started to come to me, and I started compartmentalizing, is I can see something happen or do something, and that's going to affect me psychologically. As just say, like, maybe this kid getting beat by their dad when they were young. You know what I mean? Like, people always like, well, no, those are two different things. Like, yeah, for sure, the weight of the two are different, but you don't know how that shit's going to affect anybody psychologically. So, like, that kid's trauma could be as equal to my trauma, even though they're two completely different things. So, yes, my traumas are unique, but trauma is not unique to me. Well, the worst thing that ever happens, the worst thing that ever happens to someone is the worst thing that ever happens to someone. So, you you can't, like like you said, they can be two different things, but they still can be the worst thing that's Mm -hmm. ever happened to someone. And that affects everyone differently, especially as, you know, the younger you are and there's a whole different dynamic there. But... It seems like psychedelics really did change you in a, in a big, significant way. And I like that you bring up the fact that these people, you know, individuals now are jumping on these bandwagons or these things that they think are are woke, which, fuck, I, I want to be so far away from that word as, as far as you can get. Because I, I think individuals now, they want to be, they don't want to be woke. They want to be accepted and they want to be people who don't get pushed back against. So they go with whatever side seems the largest and loudest and they, they sit on one side of that. I understand, especially where you're living. There's a lot of individuals who really do believe that, that, you know, someone getting hit by a car is the worst thing that'll ever happen to them and that they live in this bubble. And that's, that's not wrong at all. Um, when I see people like that, I used to be like, I used to think to myself, how could you live your life just complaining that your latte is hot when was it Saudi is it was it um one of the Saudi countries is over there bombing Yemen on a daily basis and we act like it doesn't happen like that's what's happening kids are getting killed every day but but you're worried about this and then someone explained to me one day they're like you know Kelsey you can't you can't fault people for not feeling as passionately or as strongly or, or wanting to be as aware. Some people just want to go about their life 
because when you know a lot, that's a burden. And the less you know, the happier you are. It feels absolutely. Ignorance is definitely bliss in that sense. It's just the where I take, I guess it, it makes me provoke any emotion is like, it's just the specifically the woke culture thinking they have something figured out. No. It's like you don't. You just think that yeah. because you're this free minded person that believes that everyone should have a chance to be whatever the fuck they are, like that you're some now sacred person that I can look through my third fucking eye and blah, 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 blah. And tell me that because the stars are aligning that you're being a piece of shit of a human. Like, I'm sorry. That's not what woke actually is. Like you said, like kids dying every day in some type of battle zone or combat Ukraine. Now we just stopped talking about that. That's just completely dropped off the map. That's still fucking happening. It's just America has this short tension span. But as you were saying, you can't fault people for not necessarily caring but we can fault people in is in the sense, like I'm not fault people in, but just like they just don't have that perspective. And that's what I had to come to understand where like I had separated myself from a lot of people. At first it was out of anger. Like, how the fuck do you not know this is going on? Blah blah blah. To then it's just like it's just perspective. I have such a different perspective than so many people because I've seen so many different things in people. I've lived in different areas. I've like I said, it, I have just as much tied to that perspective with Afghanistan as I do India. Because India, like, when I'm there, I'm living amongst the people and stuff like that. Like, in the back country, in the back, where women are still getting beaten to a pulp by their men. It's accepted. Like, things like that. So they just don't have this perspective. And in this little bubble that they created, the craziest thing in the world is, as I'm not saying it's not unfortunate or it shouldn't be happening, but, like, the craziest thing is, like, an unarmed person of color being shot. Like, that's the craziest fucking thing in the world to me. It's like, yes, of course, these things happen and they can be stopped or we can try to minimize them or different things. But you screaming and crying about it and not coming up with an answer to how we can change this or to think that you just know better than everybody else because you have an answer is where the I think the fall lies in. Uh, you're not going to get any pushback on that with me. You're going to get a hundred percent resounding agreement because that is really where the struggle lies is there's the balance of understanding. And like, I think I was sitting right in a similar point as you before I started using psychedelics. And that was like, I would be angry that people didn't get it. Like, why wouldn't you want to know about this? Why wouldn't you want to care? But then again, before psychedelics, I even my treatment doctor would look back and be like, Kelsey, you have to remember some people have never left their town. Some people have never left the country. Some people have never been to a war zone. Some people have never experienced a trauma in their life. And thank God that they never had to. But you have to also understand it's, it's up to them and you can't make someone care about something. If they don't care about it, you can't make someone, all you can do is lay out facts and educate as the, the best you can to your ability to say, this is probably why you should care and how this can affect you. And that's all you can do at that time. Or you introduce them to psychedelics. Like I was, right. and then perception. Exactly. Completely. Exactly. That's what, so I don't ever talk about my military experiences with anybody. I don't really go, it's just, it's not my, to me, it's like, it's it's equivalent to someone talking about how they were a fucking stud in high school football. I'm like, it's cool, dude. What are you doing now? So what's like going on in your life now? That's right. everything. And that's why I have a kind of, I'm separated from 
at least big veteran groups or communities because just a bunch of people living in the past it seems like don't get me wrong it's not everybody i'm not going to blanket cover everybody but there's just so much i didn't tell people i was in the military even when i was in the military like once i got to the ranger battalion we could like grow our hair out look a little different like we came up with different shit so we didn't tell people like i used to tell people i was a dolphin waxer like just stupid shit you know like just, yeah that was it was like a fun thing we would do at bars my buddy would say he was a rodeo clown just like things like that so it's just we would just do anything we could to avoid because also eventually I, I would start going home and when you go home, it's like, oh, I get to get away from everything. Like, I get to get away from everything. And then, unfortunately, to your relatives who don't really see you as much anymore, it's like, this is all they fucking want to know. Like, how's this? How's that? What's this? Like, blah, blah, blah. And it just, my, sh- I saw a shift from everyone stopped treating me as John to everyone started treating me as someone in special operations. And I fucking hated it. It's like, no, I'm not here to do this. I don't want to talk about work. I don't want, I just want to hang out. So then I just started even creating more space and more distance to, so by the time I got out, I did everything I could to space myself from even remotely being associated with the military, like dyeing my hair, as many pierces as I possibly could get, like just things like that, where I was just so done with everything in that aspect of just being seen as not you, you're already labeled as you walk in the door, that guy is this, so that's how, like even my friends here, when they, Bert, when I did find out, like I started getting introduced, it's like, oh, that's Ranger John. I'm like, please cut that shit out. Like, I'm not, I'm John. I'm not fucking Ranger. I'm not, I'm not my job. I'm not fucking, like, I'm not introducing you as high school washout Brian. You know what I mean? Like, like it's not how I want to be introduced. Just, I'm John. We're good to go meet me here in this moment in time. And you can see how I am not put some label on me because of something I once was. Isn't it crazy that society or people around you want to hold you in the standard that you were when you were 18? Because I joined at 18 too. And I got out, I think I was 21 going on 22. So like we, we did the same, that time frame, and people want to hold you in that and, and talk about that time. And that's fine. That's a part of me, but that's not all of me. And our right. community, we put ourselves in these boxes and we allow people to, because we don't self-correct. It's like, no, that's who I was. It gave me the stepping stones to be who I am now. This is what I do now. Well, I also think that's a unique perspective as well, because it's not like everybody in this community wants to have that off them. A lot of people love living in that fucking past. It's like, yeah, you're goddamn right. I was a SEAL or a blah, 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 or Marine, because that's that was their heyday or that's the my shit's still way ahead of me. I don't know where my peak's at because I haven't reached it yet, but a lot of guys live in that heydays and like, or females of like, that was the best I was ever going to do. I want to be labeled as that. I like when people call me those things where those are the people I notice. And like, that's why it's not that Nick or I ever gave that perspective all of each other, but it was just like, we met through another friend who's in the military as well. And it was just like, I'm done meeting military people. I already know I'm not going to hang out with any of these people ever again. <laughs> like, I already know I don't want to associate with them. So that's so, what I mean. They were just like, cool. All right. You're a douche later. You two are similar though. Not like very similar. Well, oh, yeah. You found that out very quickly. <laughs> that's so funny though. I appreciate that view though. I think that's really interesting to hear you talk about that. You know, how that vibe just, you know, that's a reality. Like you can almost always tell, uh, a military member or like a federal cop or like someone who did something in contracting the way they stand their mannerisms how they hold themselves you can see a little bit in everyone haircuts it's all good 
Uh, so I actually, when I got out of the military for a little bit in that time period, I started modeling in New York City a little bit and just like Philadelphia and whatnot. And I used to get asked if I was gay all the time. Really? And I did not mind it in the slightest because it pulled me right. away from that like, oh, he just looks like he was a fucking, like people are like, you're gay. I'm like, that's cool. I like, it means I dress well. I, I'm not just looking like some fucking dude out of the military. Like, that's awesome. That's right. So you 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 successfully pushed yourself away enough where that wasn't. I like that. That's a beautiful way of looking at that, man. Um. So, but what then? What then transpired afterwards after contracting? I mean, you're you're kind of freshly out of that. How did you get into the fitness side and the schooling side? Like, where did that come in? Fitness started definitely in the military. Like, I mean, before the military and, and uh, you know, high school and whatnot, playing sports and whatnot. But then, like, you kind of hone it in in the military, especially when 100% of your job relies on your body being willing and able to do everything that is demanded, that they're demanding you to do. So, like, it, you take it a lot more seriously in the military. And then kind of once you're not a private anymore and you kind of have more choice of what route you wanted to go, I kind of started just trying to get, like, a little more into bodybuilding then. And then got out and just kind of like kept it up and then got less out of bodybuilding more to just like, now that I'm not in the military, what standard am I setting for myself? And then I just started finding myself pushing, like trying to push humanly limits possible. So like I just recently started to get into ultra marathon running. So I've been really trying to run a marathon or a couple of them every year just to get prepped for that. And I just like being the the uh, not necessarily the attention from it, but just like i like doing shit that doesn't make sense okay. someone's like you're lean but you're strong but you're fucking huge and you run over you know 28 miles of debt blah, blah blah like that sort of shit i'm like yeah like regardless if anyone even understands the accomplishments or even knows about the accomplishments it's just like it's just that mental thing for me as well just if i'm doing shit that other people aren't then i get to continue believing in myself to do shit that other people aren't Oh, Which I is, it. it's not that hard, I guess, in the grand scheme, because a lot of people don't really do dick. Like, they think they work hard, but they don't. And when you push yourself to, like, different human limits of just doing shit just to do shit, just because you can, you start figuring out, like, th there's nothing that can hold me back. It's just what am I willing to endure and put myself through to get there? And that's kind of where, like, the fitness aspect took big presence in my life of just if I work this hard, I can achieve that and then that. And then it also became a super artistic thing. I'm not, I can't draw, I can't do any of that shit, but just, you know, studying the human anatomy and be able to figure out how to do certain things or movements or get stronger, or bigger here, it just all became very fascinating to me. So you took an interest in the actual physiology of it rather than just the, the vanity is what you're saying. Right, right. So like that was what my degree was in exercise science, kinesiology, physiology things like that so i'm assuming that went well um it did until covid hit and then stopped everything and that's when i picked up contracting so i'm actually looking to finish my schooling here within this next year well that's exciting what's the plan after that um so now i own a personal training and online coaching business and i have my security business so where i have my ep gigs where i go to india pick up different gigs here and there if i want to and I uh, just have some other investments where the point of me getting into contracting, the when I did for the government, was to build up enough money to make investments so I didn't have to work anymore. 
I wanted to make sure before I brought any children into this world that I didn't have to be a parent that was stuck to a nine to five schedule, someone else's rules or something like that. So that was like my whole thing. When I went into contracting, I, it was no longer like, yeah, fuck yeah, America. It was like, you taught me how to go be a badass. I'm going to go be a badass for my own personal gain and profit off of it and then make what I want out of this life using those skills because that not everyone has afforded that opportunity in the military. Unfortunately, no one tells you going in the door that kicking in doors and shooting guns and shit like that correlates to jack shit in the real world. You think like, Oh, I'm putting the army or Marines or whatever on my resume. That's going to stand out. It doesn't, it really doesn't because a lot of places see that they're like, I don't know what I'm getting with this person. I've, you know, like, yeah, they got good leadership skills, but like, they've also been on three deployments. What the fuck is this person done? What are they seeing? You know, what I mean? it doesn't always necessarily work out in your benefit. No one tells you going into the recruiter's office, like, hey, do something besides infantry, like, get a different skill besides just shooting guns. Because when I got out, that was a fucking hard lesson where it was like, ply, ply, ply. Oh, what did I get except as a bouncer at the fucking bar? You're just like, this is really all I'm qualified to do. I just went to being the baddest thing that walked on the battlefield to now I'm just checking IDs at a bar. I mean, they didn't exactly appreciate artillery and civilian life. So <laughs> sure. I feel your vibes, but I mean, that's gotta be a kick to the face when somebody says that going from being a ranger to checking vibes. I mean, don't get me wrong, I said, like getting out, I was down to be a civilian now. I'm like, I'm down, let me just enjoy my college. Being a bouncer wasn't all that bad, to be completely honest. I met a shit ton of people when I moved here to San Diego. So it worked out in my favor where it was just like, I got to meet a bunch of people. It was a very short-lived job. I made associates, maybe a couple friends, a lot of associates, and then dipped. But it's a it's a different type of job. I mean, that's... Being a civilian bouncer going from having a gun on you to if anybody touches you the wrong way, you end their life. I mean, that's just like a... I was kind of that guy in the bar. So it was like me and two other like dudes as big as me, they relied on us as like the muscle, like there's a fight. And we were like, oh, oh let's get a fight. Like, oh, there's a fight tonight. Blah, blah, blah. You know what I mean? We were still like in that mindset of just like, I don't know. Like eventually it just got, it got old after like two weeks where I was just like, there's nothing, there's no pride in this. There's nothing that I'm doing in this. I'm not proud of anything I'm doing here. So it was just a super short lived, but like, that's not taking a knock on anybody else. That just wasn't my shit. What was the reason you left contracting? Um, Afghanistan coming to a close after that, it was very dark times. Um, the people who were in my life at the time that I wanted to hopefully feel like I could rely on weren't weren't there or they just didn't understand to be there. And the friends that I did have that were veterans, I didn't I didn't know how they were taking things. So like I'm just the type of person where I'm not like, if you got shit you're going through, I'm not gonna add my shit to it. Like some people think that's like a thing of like camaraderie or whatever, like we suffer together. It's like that's never not that it's never been my shit. That's just not my thing. Like I'm, I'm a loner. I'm gonna go figure the fuck out on my own. Basically, like I learned enough that like even just through conversation, people weren't understanding anything. They'd be like, you know, I actually got the question like, well, what's upsetting you? And I just after that, I I think I just left. I think I just stood up and left because I didn't know how to answer that 
question of time without like, are you fucking kidding me? And like almost grabbing that person's neck. You know what I mean? So um, after that, I packed my dogs up, my two amazing dogs. Um, I drove nine hours to Lake Tahoe and we spent four days up there living in the back of my truck. We'd go on hikes. I would take an abundance of shrooms, go sit and be and reflect and, you know, come to terms with everything that happened. And it wasn't till that, I did that where I could actually sit and be comfortable with it. But after that, I promised myself I would never go do anything for the government in that sense again, unless it was something along the lines of like war threes breaking out. You mean the current one? I was praying, honestly. <laughs> I, was, I was not that I'm like, I'm not like, oh yeah, fucking I'm invincible anymore. Like I totally get it, but like, god damn, we need something to kill a lot of these motherfuckers on this planet because there's way too many of us and they're we're just I don't know. I'm a huge believer in like when COVID started hitting, I was like, let this shit go. Like <laughs> let it clear out who it's supposed to clear out. I'm sorry, like it's unfortunate, but death isn't something everyone isn't going to experience like we all are going to die you just are trying to pick and choose how you and that's not how this shit works so like that that whole covid thing was like just mind-blowing where it's just like i'm not i'm not going to speculate on anything but just like if say this was from nature I'm not saying i believe it is I'm not saying i believe it is say this did <laughs> Clearly, it's supposed to come because it's the, the planet just corrects itself. Mother Nature corrects itself. That's just how this shit works. If we get knocked back, it was supposed to be we were going to get knocked. We need to be knocked back. We need a little bit more time to figure things out before we actually like run out of food. You know what I mean? But that's a, that's a human thing. We're just trying to avoid death as much as possible to the point where people are you know, dying to live, just living to die. Yeah, people are... Uh... People are comfortable. Extremely. My, my huge thing with the whole thing was just like the people who would bring up nursing homes. Like, well, don't oh, you yeah. want people in nursing homes to like, blah, blah, Like, if you didn't give a fuck about your grandparent enough to not put them in a nursing home, why would I give a fuck about them? I'm sorry, but like, how is that my, you put them in the home, not me. I know where my parents are. Right. All my parents, all my grandparents are in a grave too. Like, I, I have accountability of all my people. It's uh, It was a crazy thing to watch it happen, too, because once you kind of realized what was going on, uh, you started to, like, see things that were, like, government playbook stuff that, like, you just, if you've ever been in the military or you've ever been a cop or you've ever been a part of the government, you're like, this feels funny. The whole thing was definitely just, like, it became comical eventually at one point because it was just so... So yeah. unbelievable, especially here in California. I know you felt in Canada because y'all are not done, homie. Y'all are some sick shit up there. I don't know. Yeah. Y'all yeah. can have fun with that. I've just, I've like been on a fucking pubic hair of leaving California yeah. with all the shit that's. I'm shocked you're still there. What kept me here is I have two siblings here now. Okay. So I had two siblings following me out here. And if it wasn't for them, I would have beat feet a long time ago. But after leaving the house at 18 and then like my family kind of stayed in a very similar area in Pennsylvania where like I was shipped off to Washington, then North Carolina, then came here. You know, I've just always been the one that's gone. So when my siblings decided to like come out here, it was the first time I got to live around a my family and, you know, 
seven, eight years at that time. So it was like not something I was just so easy, ready to run out the door from. Fair enough. And you guys aren't fully in the communist regime. You guys got a little bit of time. I mean, you just got a new minister of truth. So that's fun. <laughs> yeah, Good thing. Thank God for that. I was literally praying every night, like, please just give us a new minister of truth. It's okay. We have a, we have a bill. Uh, it's bill C 11. So we, we had that since Feb. we had it since two years ago, it was bill C 10. Now it's bill C 11 as of February. So don't worry. We are, um, we are full censorship state run media. Uh, so your time is coming. I've warned you all several times. Everyone's like, no, it's America. We have guns. I was like, how's that ministry of truth treating you? So the time is coming for certain. I, it's just the more and more as I go along, I'm, I'm a huge history nerd. I'm a huge mm. history nerd. I've always have been. The more and more you live in this country, the more and more you're just like, this is five different countries all in one. And that's how it should be treated. That's honestly how it should be treated. Like, how are you trying to govern the same people who they've literally grown up around thousands of acres of corn their whole fucking life in the Midwest to someone in SoCal to Texas live on the border to the Northeast where everything's financial. It just doesn't make any sense to try and have one governing body trying to tell everybody to abide by the same shit. It's like, if you just kind of let the States have a little more power, let them do what they want. Like, Sure, this state doesn't like abortion. Drive over to the next fucking one. Pop that thing out. You're still good to go. Come on back. You know what I mean? Like, it would just be that much easier. But we're just really stuck on this. I mean, it's not that we're stuck. It's just if you give a government power, it'll never relinquish that power. Someone has to relinquish the power from it. Yeah, that's what you're seeing here. And that's what you're seeing in uh, Australia and New Zealand with the protests. And we had a... It's funny because everyone in America that I've spoken to is like, oh, those are still happening. You guys are still, you guys are still doing that. And I said, yeah, we, we had one this week. It was, uh, we had all the bikers roll through Ottawa and we had cops just straight up uh, beating civilians, like on video, unprompted, unprovoked. And it's just really gross. And it's really troubling behavior when you have bills put in secretly, you have things yeah. being done overnight. Um, they're now talking about uh, removing handguns from Canada. So a couple of years ago, they lo we lost the right for hunting rifles and like C7s and things like that. Now we're on to handguns, which is the next step. And now we're on to um, censored online uh, media and censored news. So we're full on. And when people are like, we're a free country, if you're not vaccinated, you can't leave this country. And then they had an individual from the government uh, yesterday say that um it's there's no reason an unvaccinated person should have the right to leave the country they shouldn't they're, they're disgusting like he said this in like parliament in in Cong like in our congress our version of congress like just sat there stood up with a serious look on his face and said they're discussing human beings they don't have the right to leave the country they should never have the right to leave the country i'm sorry is this the 1920s it feels fucking like it i'll tell you that like i the it's funny because of the people who were the fucking woke ones are sitting there just like, oh, no, these these shots might be doing something, but what am I going to do? I need to, to go blah, 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 blah. It's like, OK, so are you a coward then or are you just are you actually like understanding of what's going on? That was a big thing to me where people were, oh, well, you're just like selfish, blah, blah, blah. It's like, well, how selfish are you to ask someone to inject something into their body that they're not comfortable with? And then for people to say like, trust the science it was just like okay so we are trusting science now 
Because like I can point at a bunch of different other fucking things where you're saying don't believe in science. Because like the same person who's saying believe in the science, I can be like, what about the science that says A through Z? Well, I don't believe in that. It's like, well, then go fuck yourself. Stop trying to impose your fucking shit on someone else. Because last time I checked, since the day life was created, the anatomy and the immune system have been a fucking thing. And how your immune system learns how to fight something is by contracting it. That's fucking day one science. Like, yeah, you can get into specifics of it. I know this, like, it's not across the board for everybody. COVID's going to affect people differently. It's how, it just how it happens. No one is, everyone genetically is different. So, like, the people, the, the, the issue is that people lay on the outliers. Like, it's not like you just, if I gave the actual statement of, like, actually, I'm just making a statistic up, but 70% of people who died from COVID were overweight or obese. Then they have the, well, I knew this one person who was 28, and he was skinny and a runner and blah, blah, blah. It's like, yeah, I know. I'm not talking about that one skinny fuck. I'm talking about the mass people who are actually being affected by it. And it's like, oh, well, this is actually considered obese and this blah, blah, blah. Like, cool. I really don't give a fuck. I honestly could give less of a fuck. That's like my general statement across the board for everybody. But don't make your problem my problem. Because you decide to not put the fucking Twinkies and cupcakes down and shit like that. Don't make that shit my problem. I don't give a fuck what you do with your life. I'm not saying that you should be fit or whatever. Like, people just see me automatically think they're like, oh, he's just that gym douche, blah, blah. No, I just don't give a fuck, to be completely honest. If you want to help yourself, by all means, go help yourself. If you don't, go live that life and go die like everybody else will, and it's not going to affect me any differently. Right. It's when your poor life decisions have an effect on mine, and then you're trying to make me feel some type of way about it. It's like, you can just go fuck yourself. Get like Just get wholeheartedly fucked. My favorite, yeah, my favorite was when my husband was in the hospital, and there was a, a nurse that was morbidly obese have the nerve to tell my husband and I who do blood work every three months who ride road bikes who run who train that we were unhealthy because we used cannabis yep that's when my brain went okay I can't I can't do it anymore I can't I can't rationalize with humans and that's okay so what I've I've resolved myself to is just leave me alone and I'll leave you alone Exactly. Human being. I'm a human being. Let's just move on. Once I found out what libertarianism is, I was on board. I was like, leave me the fuck alone. Everything that you're trying to peek on me is illegal. Don't do it. Stay the fuck out of my life. Small government is possible. If we need you, we can make you. We don't need you right now. Yeah, you guys are interesting to watch because your states have so much more power than our than our uh, our provinces do. Our our provinces are might as, there might as well not be provincial members of parliament because none of them do anything different than the government, like than than Trudeau does. So it doesn't matter. But it's interesting to hear your opinions on this because you you know you you're a well thought up person. You're educated. You look after your body. You experience psychedelics and look at the world in a different way. And more and more and more that I do this, the more individuals that I talk to who care about what they put in their body, care about what they put in, you know, in their mind, what they care about, how they experience things in terms of cannabis and psychedelics, they all seem to have a similar out, outward view, which is that that's fine. You want to do that, but don't impose things on me 
I've seen things differently. I've been through different shit than you. We're not trying to impose things on you. So just leave human beings alone, be kind to one another. But it takes people almost having to experience some type of trauma or some type of psychedelic or, or some type of influence for them to get outside of this mass psychosis. Yeah. Like really. And it, your view on it, like I said, it's so similar. It's so similar to so many people that I've spoken to on this show because it's, there's forethought into it. It's not just regurgitation of information that they've heard on CNN. Well, I think a big thing of it has to do with, with, especially with psychedelics, is because you've learned that you don't need anybody else. That's one of the biggest things that I took away from psychedelics was that, like, I can rely on myself. I can, anything that I'm going to face in life, I can go inward and handle. That, don't get me wrong, some people, they like therapy. I never understood therapy. I never got that. Where, like, I'm talking to someone who I've never met until now doesn't know any of my background that I could fill them in on certain shit, but like you weren't there to witness what I witnessed. You weren't there to feel the emotion that I did that you see something, you do something. And there's just a part of you that dies forever type of situation. Like you weren't there through any of that, but you're going to, because you've read about this scenario in a book and tell me how the human brain should properly process blah, blah, just because it's the proper way. Cause some one wrote a book about it doesn't mean it's the fucking way to do it right. and that was my biggest thing like just because it's been written down or it worked for somebody doesn't mean it's ever going to work for you and that's like that's even in you know fitness and whatnot you get like what if you eat the same thing that i eat our body's gonna have two completely different reactions to it it's all about figuring out your own shit and that's what so then came to same thing with um like mentally my mental health I'm just it's no one else's job to get this shit right but me and I think that's what a lot of people are lacking now. It's just like they're looking so much outward or just accepted. And the biggest thing now is like anxiety and depression and things like that. Like there's a point of understanding the science behind it and what it actually is. But there's also like application of how to get rid of it or application of what to do in different things, uh, scenarios or most of your anxiety and depression is going to come from yourself. Some beating yourself down or turning a certain situation and looking at it a certain way or a lot of it also has to do with suppression who just shoving shit down and that's so big in the veteran community of just like if i don't think about it it's not here and those demons are there they're fucking there and they'll run through your mind all day and night if you don't learn how to face them and that was my biggest thing of it wasn't always intentional so I was telling you when I was like abusing drugs and doing things like that at music festivals, when I started getting into psychedelics, I would mix psychedelics with everything and just have a good time trip without really understanding what was going on. So I'd be like at a, a music set for, you know, hour, hour and a half. And I'm, I walk out like, I don't know if I heard one song that whole time. Cause I was just up in my head. So to give you an instance, how I told you, I would just go overboard with everything. There would be days where I was on like 10 tabs of acid. That like, oh, so the first time I talked to Nikki and Nick, I was telling him about how recently, two New Year's ago, I was in Sedona and ate an ounce of shrooms alone and just had, for people who don't know an ounce, is 28 grams, 28 grams of shrooms to the dome and just had myself a day. But those were the times that like, I don't know, it's like in a four hour period, I figured out what I couldn't in years, it felt like where it was 
also understanding putting yourself through some type of hardship the reward on the other side of it is what it was all about where before when i was doing psychedelics it wasn't intentional i was just taking these psychedelics and like sitting with my own shit in life i had talked my way out of any organized religion within a day on being on psychedelics of just like the thought provoking why 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 this why that until you get to your own answer like it's all bullshit at least like not saying it is that's how i got to it so different things along those lines of then just i eventually got to a point where i remember i was like you know what i'm just gonna take like some acid tonight i'm not gonna take anything else whatever and it took one set of music to just be engulfed in psychedelics to where thinking about ecstasy molly cocaine anything like that it almost like physically made me throw up thinking about it entering my body would make me gag watching other people do it would make me gag it took one trip for my whole perspective to change it was just like it came a rushing punch to the face of like what the fuck are you doing this has never been you this is not you you're a pretty structured person you got your shit together or can have your shit together you had one goal at 18 and you did it you're literally destroying your whole fucking life right now. And you have so much limitless potential because you're just down to party and do whatever the fuck you want now. Where psychedelics help me put that structure together. And when I talk to people about my two biggest psychedelics that I've used is LSD and mushrooms, the two differences between the two of them are like LSD to me is very logical, but it's not like there's a cap on it. Like I can logically figure out through this process is how I eventually have so much Passive income, I never have to work another day again. Shrooms is like that wholesome, spiritual, one with the universe, dive inward, become a better person type of psychedelic to me. So at first it all started with LSD and like the logic of LSD was like, you're destroying your fucking one brain you got. You're just destroying in a matter of a year, just doing, just because this thing feels good for a little while and then you feel like shit for two days. So it was just that type of, which like just completely took me out of any other type of drug. And then after that, it was like light bulb. These things can help me. This isn't a party thing. These things can fucking help me. And then once I came to California, so LSD is a lot more prominent on, uh, on the East coast. I felt like okay. I was, it was a lot more readily available on the East coast than in California. Everyone's about shrooms here. It's just like a huge shroom community. I feel like now. So that was like almost a completely different dive in. It was shrooms is what helped me kind of conquer any PTSD or trauma or things like that. Not conquer, but just like, you're going to face this shit. Like whether you want to or not, it's here, you're facing this shit. And that was for the first hour and a half of Sedona when I was on that ounce of shrooms, I was on my back just like, the littlest things in life were coming up like, oh, remember that argument in fifth grade where you hit your sister, you piece of shit? Like, why would you do that? You know what I mean? Like weird things. And then the huge life altering. But then you sit on that shit. And then after like two hours, it all goes by and you're like, it's done. Like, am I like, am I out of the water? Am I, am I cool? And then everything is just fucking beautiful. You just sat with all your problems in life, or at least the most prominent ones at that point in time. You didn't run from it. You faced them. You thought about them. You put conscious effort into how you're going to go about being a better human being. Everything after that's fucking gravy. You can't tell me shit after you faced all your problems in life because someone can come up with their own problem and it's not yours. Like, yeah, I can help you fucking 
with this, this and that until it starts to become like, oh, now you're trying to put your shit on my psyche. Right. And then with that, it was once people figure out that you figured your shit out or not, I don't want to say figure it out. No one's ever going to figure this out. But once you sit with your shit long enough to the point where you're comfortable, and I'm not talking comfortable and just like, you know, you're comfortable, you're lazy, comfortable in the sense of like, I'm comfortable who I am as a human being. I don't have to try and be anybody else anymore. And that was something I fought for a long time because I am just an outward, unique, flamboyant, loud human being. I fought that for, especially in Ranger Italian, where it's like, why aren't I like the quiet, stone cold killer? You know what I mean? Like the guy who fucking, why, why do I have, why am I different? Why am I this? And like, I was never comfortable until the point where on psychedelics, it was just like, you're that way because you're supposed to be that fucking way. Anyone else who's telling you to be anything different is a fucking fool and isn't comfortable with themselves because they're hiding something to not be themselves, to be acting whatever way they did. And that's just such an empty, shallow road. So that's when it was like, I eventually became comfortable with like, you know what? I didn't fit in at Ranger Time with a lot of people. I didn't like, I didn't argue with people. I didn't not like people, you know what I mean? But I just, I was there, I did my job. I hung out with the people I hung out with. I didn't, I went out to bars with some people, had my own group of friends in like the civilian world and whatnot. But once you just sit with all your shit, especially on such a high elevated sense of consciousness and awareness and things like that, it's if you can sit with them there, then you can sit with them in your day-to-day life. And that's what it's about. It's not about figuring out one day. The battle is every day. But it's just more comfortable facing that shit and then facing that shit and facing that shit. Well, you took the time to put the effort in to be willing to face it. And that's the other thing, right? Is people want a quick fix. They want to... I want to be skinnier. I want to be taller. I want to be this. I want to be that. And that they want a quick fix. And when you sit with psychedelics, what it seems like, or for the time that I ever have, it seems like it's not fun. It can be quite painful. It can be, it can be a lot. And that really is just the starting point. The work comes after and having to be, you know, being willing. I think when you're faced with it during the experience, it almost shocks your system. excuse me enough that you have no choice but to sit with it afterwards but then you have almost the strength to sit with it afterwards absolutely ride is over absolutely and that was the big thing with that psychedelic experience on lsd that like took me away from all hard drugs and other substances like that was it wasn't like yeah it was a light bulb moment of like what the fuck are you doing why would you do this and then having that reaction but that thereafter was like because it was right because I was just bullying my way through this shit. I wasn't necessarily loving where I was in life. I wasn't happy with myself. I wasn't facing my things. I wasn't being the person I built myself up to be. So then like, it then almost just became a venture of like, anytime something happened to me or I would deploy or something like that, the first time I did, I'd come back and I would trip. I would go take some mushrooms or whatever, have a fucking cry, scream, do whatever the fuck I had to do to get it out. And then, come back and I just felt like I could be at least a little more rational of a human being, especially in that contracting world, like I said, where you just kind of come back and you're thrown into society and expected to be a normal functioning member of it, where it was, that it just helped. And then it was just that like reassurance of just, I'm going off alone and doing this stuff on my own. Like it's just that everyone's got a different process, but when you sit alone and you face your shit and you overcome things alone, it's just such a much more empowering experience than like 
talking to someone and getting their feedback and then talking to someone else and getting their feedback and then kind of throwing things together. I'd rather go face my shit, figure it out at least to my extent, and then I can bring outward opinions in. But if I'm just, I'm not facing anything and I'm just listening to other people's opinions of how to do something, who the fuck said they haven't figured out either? They might not be sitting for shit. And that's one of the biggest things I think that it's so easy to pick out who's full of shit these days. Like, yeah, <laughs> we're writing books and whatnot. Like, why the fuck should I read your book? And then it's like, here's 10 ways to live your life by. Who the fuck are you? Like, what do you mean live my life by? What have you done? You're like, have these people like, oh, I'm a father too. I started a semi, you know, I started a business that was, it's, kind of doing well whatever here's the 10 steps i followed and people just eat that shit up and they're just like yeah cool like that, that oh yeah that does blah 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 blah, or this or that but the worst thing you can do in life is get a mentor that should not be a mentor because you're buying into all their shit and then you got to unlearn all that shit if you figure out it's all shit i think people just they they want help they need help and <clears throat> they don't know necessarily where to look for it and that sometimes can be dangerous when the wrong people are yeah. offering up advice and it takes a different type of person to be able to call them out and say you know that's just not that doesn't sound right or that doesn't feel right or the way that you're saying that you know it, it comes off a certain way but most of the time i feel like right now more than ever people are starving for community and starving for for conversation and, and, and human connection in a way that we never have before, because we've never experienced what the past few years of like, we've never in my lifetime in your lifetime, we've never had this experience. I mean, and the people before us and because the technology wasn't where, where it is now. And so I feel like more than ever, people are just starving for a community and for an answer and for someone to help guide them through this bullshit that the world is in right now. And so that can be a dangerous a dangerous place absolutely one of the how the avenue kind of came between me coming to this podcast and with nikki and whatnot is because i was talking to nick about the docuseries he just did mm -hmm. um funny enough kind of how me and nick realized that him and i were you know going to be boys or whatnot is i came over to watch the docuseries for those listening who doesn't know the docuseries it was about the afghanistan war special operations the afghanistan war i went and i watched it for the first time on probably two eighths of shrooms because my thought process of the whole thing is like i've sat with my shit if there's anything on here that's supposed to provoke something i'm gonna sit with it right here and now i'm gonna face it here and i'm gonna get it out You're better so person than i was <laughs> don't get me wrong it was rough <laughs> there was very rough moments by the end of it nick was like dude i'm surprised you held your shit together and i was like i've sat with myself a lot and i really had i'm not sitting here also saying i'm fucking I've seen World War II combat. You know what I mean? Like I did my shit. There are plenty and plenty of people who did so much more than I saw so much more than I. My leadership who had done 13, 15 deployments, 20 deployments, things like that. Like it was just non-comparable. But with that mentality is what sunk me in deeper because it was always just like, all oh, those people did so much more. You're a pussy for blah, 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 or this or that, where that mentality can just sink you out too. But that was like my whole thought process of with Nick and then talking to Nikki about the whole situation about how Nick and I, we, we get qu not questions, but just veterans reaching out to us, like who are basically have a gun in their mouth. Like 
messages of just like, hey, you know what? Like I was about to end my life last night. Like I thought of you for whatever reason. I didn't do it, blah, blah, blah. And the reason I came to the podcast is because I was expressing to Nick and Nikki, like I don't want to have those conversations with people. I don't. Like I understand like what you're reaching out for. I'm not your fucking savior. I'm not. I'm not going to be like, it's not a role that I necessarily want to take on either because I figured my shit out by sitting with it. If I can help you, it's going to be by coming on podcasts like this and telling you like, I figured out what I had to to get me out of those times by sitting with my shit, facing it on psychedelics or different things along those lines. So I'd rather have a mass message spread if possible to how did I get to the point that I am? And it was this because... People might take this the wrong way too, but honestly, I've met a lot of people who just, their demons are way too strong to them that they just weren't able to handle it or blah, blah, blah. Like if you have a wife and kid or anything and you're still just ready to pull the trigger every day, if your wife and kid aren't enough to get you to not do it, I'm not going to be able to. No. There's nothing I can say to you that's going to like deter your demons. I can tell you like, you got to face it. But to so many, to, like I'm different than everybody else so someone who had those demons can just it might just not be worth it so i'm not the person to be advocating for suicide because i understand the aspect of suicide in the sense of like life isn't that precious hey dude if it's not worth it to you it's not worth it i don't like there's nothing i can give you to make it worth it that's on you to figure that part out like i figured it out or other people through their day-to-day have figured out or they haven't and they're struggling with it and need to figure it out so my message can be, at least to this, of if you're struggling, how I handled my shit was just taking psychedelics and facing everything. You don't have to take psychedelics to do it either. You just got to sit with your shit and face it. It was just kind of what the psychedelics gave me was that time of just like, all right, for these next four hours, I'm just, I'm going in to repair. I'm going in to sit with something or eight whatever where you know if you're just at home trying to do something everything is a distraction this happening this leak this whatever this blah it's on the tv or whatever we're at least just taking the time to just sit with yourself and reflecting all those things you don't have to take psychedelics but they have absolutely done leaps and bounds for me and through everything that i've experienced on them it's not a drug it's an absolute tool that's been put on this earth really to help us as human beings too i couldn't give you the answer I've had different answers given to me on shrooms and different things of like growth, perception, evolution, whatever it may be. But I can say, like, as you said, it's not fun, but it's not supposed to be fun. Growth is not fun because growth takes work and work is supposed to be hard. So whether it's mental growth or physical or whatever type of growth you want in life, it's never supposed to come easy. So it's just a matter of actually like, putting in the fucking work and even with the fitness side of shit people are oh what's the secret what's the split what's this what's that the answer is getting in and fucking doing it just being consistent about it just because i have you know gotten to this point doesn't mean it's done i'm i'm doing ayahuasca in two weeks with my buddy i did it a couple weeks ago and now i'm going in for my second dip in it like it's 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 constant keep up it's constant work it's constant repair but the thing that people miss is you're fucking worth it that's the part where people fucking miss as they're just like they just blow it off and blah blah blah. no no no. you deserve to treat yourself like a king or queen 
because you are a king or queen, but you're not unless you treat yourself that way. So it all comes full. So like to do that shit, like to sit with your shit, be comfortable with yourself, to do all these things. I'm a fucking king because I sat with my shit. You're a queen because you sat with your shit. We're not going to take anything less than exactly what we deserve. I know what I deserve from myself and what I deserve from others as well. But mainly what matters is myself. Even if anybody else, like everybody else in the world treated me a certain type of way. Look at fucking Kanye West. You can't tell that dude shit because he's so in like, no, I got this. I'm good. Well, regardless of what you say, it might be super fucking, you know, cocky, whatever, blah, blah, blah. Dude's mentally like this. If he's saying and actually believing in the shit that he's saying, I applaud him. You can get yourself to that level of being bought into yourself, comfortable with yourself, relying on yourself. You invest that much in yourself. I'm all for it. You want to like, it's funny because when you start getting happy in life, that's when people start pointing the finger like, who the fuck's this guy? Why the fuck? Well, what are you? Blah, blah, blah. And then it just becomes so much easier to smile at those people because it's just like, like I said, you can't tell me shit. I know. And that's not a bad thing, man. I, I, I'm glad that you came on uh, to talk about it because I, I think that's okay to have that stance. You're knowing that you're, you don't know everything, knowing that you can't fix everyone's problems, but just giving them the tools and the, the things that you've learned along the way, it just gives people a stepping stone. It gives people a direction to go in. It gives them an idea that, hey, this worked for somebody and it might, because of him, it might work for me. So it might be willing to even give you know myself the time and the option. And a lot of times people don't feel like they deserve uh, the effort and they don't deserve the work and they don't deserve the outside support but they do and I'm glad to hear you say it the way that you did and I'm it's interesting to hear you talk about you know you know self-reliance and things like that you're being you're you're being accountable is what you're being you're being accountable for your actions the energy and the 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 work you put out into the world those are all because you were willing to look with inside of yourself and so that is perfectly all right with me anytime somebody starts saying that I have the solution I have the answer. You should be fucking skeptical of that. No one has the answer. That's what I'm saying. Those 10 step help books, that type of bullshit. Like I said, like, before you read that shit, give me that person's actual credentials. What have they actually done in life? You know, like those types of, like, it's all about who you take mentorship with, or even if you decide to take mentorship from anybody. But it's just that guidance of the ultimate goal should be to not need anybody. And then once you don't need anybody, the people who are in your life that you do choose to keep in your life are that much more special and important. Because you're not like, people love to hold on to these like, you know, real long friendships and things like that with people, you know, like they just don't see eye to eye anymore. It's like, you're supposed to be different than you were before. Mm-hmm. You're supposed to let people go. You're supposed to add more people and let more people, that's just the process of you changing and growing. You're the same person you I met you at 10 years ago. Trust me, I'm not going to be around you. That's not going to keep happening. You're not growing and changing, then you're not doing the right thing and you're suppressing some shit. And I've also, one of the biggest things I took away from shrooms was energy. I never really fucked with energy like that beforehand. It was just kind of like, people just tell me like, oh, you have good energy. I'm just like, I'm just an outgoing person. That's just how I saw it. You know, I'm just outgoing. I don't really give a fuck or like afraid to speak my mind, that sort of thing. But then once I started looking at energy as in like uh, almost like a number or like say I have my energy is at a 10 today and it can stay at 10 unless I'm fucking giving it to someone who isn't going to give it back to me. 
And I started looking at it that way and realizing all the people who are giving energy that were not giving the energy back. And then when you start keeping that energy for yourself, it's like, oh, there's the time to fucking dive inward. There's a time to grow. There's a time to add this or that. or And you just feel better as a human being. Really, like some of the times where I was cut off completely from people. Like I just did a bodybuilding show. And the times where I should have been miserable on prep where you're just hungry and working so hard. Both, I'm in my car smiling ear to ear alone in my truck for no reason. Because my energy is going to something that's benefiting me or like I'm working hard towards or like I don't have other bullshit in my life. Of like this person added this, this and that. that per- if you're not bringing positivity to my life at all times, you're not going to be around. You can, you can, people can say what it is. I've already had enough negativity in my life around to see how it affects me. You can choose to keep negative people around if you want, because they're good people about sure. I got it. But like I said, I'm at the point in my life where like, I didn't come to you when I had these issues. I looked inward. Don't come to me. I can give you advice. I'm like, this is what I did, but it's not an answer. It's just what I did. And my biggest pet peeve is hearing the same people come around saying the same thing, the same problem, the same problem, the same problem. It just makes me want to rip my hair. I'm just like, you, you are the problem. Not whatever's going on. You're the problem. Well, not only are they the problem, it's like someone's the problem but they're also the solution and the other thing i would say i always push back a bit on is <laughs> if somebody reaches out to you for help i'll always take it dead serious until you prove to me that you're not serious i'll right. always and i'll i'll never say i have the answer but i'll point you towards directions where i think people might be able to help you that's the thing i'm you know i i'm always going to be the person that says always reach out i know it might drive it might drive you nuts but i'm like I would rather somebody reach out who might have thought of harming themselves and then me give them a direction to go and hand them off and at least know that they're in a good space. You know what I mean? I'm, I totally get your perspective though, because I can respect that. It's called boundaries and it's about yeah. where your boundaries lie and they're perfectly okay with having. And I think if more people had boundaries, a lot of people yeah. would be happier people. Absolutely. I, I completely agree. My boundary just come with, it was funny because like a lot of people also associate like eventually the tripping side of things of just like, especially with mushrooms or ayahuasca of just like this wholesome. But when I went deep enough in that hole, it wasn't, it wasn't all wholesome. It was like balance. Balance is fucking everything. That's what we're not picking up on as humans. Cause we have a perspective of good and bad. There's no good and bad. There just fucking is. We're just human and have our own, perspective i'm like oh yeah that's good that's bad and to you different things good and bad good and bad that's how we judge based on this the universe like that's not how any of this shit goes like you know how you were a little kid pouring water on an anthill laughing i'm fucking that too i'm just fucking with y'all and it was just having these types of realization of just like i've always been told our creators all good all this all that but in reality it creates everything everything good and bad that happens the most evil of fucking evil is that too you're recovering catholic (laughs) something along those lines yeah recovering is a the right word i guess there i am too so i can agree with you fine so like and i'm not saying my perspective on anything is right like i said i'm just this is how it came to me and it was just the universe letting me know like hey what people saw as the devil or whatever like i'm fucking that too 
Like, I'm not all good. I am a lot of good. I am not all bad. I am a lot of bad. But it's all just about this balance. And we think we have a grasp on good and bad and what we should be and what we shouldn't. But we really fucking don't. And that was, like, another huge thing of, like, I knew where my my morality laid, like, lies. Like, what I think is good and bad and whatnot. But, like, we can all die and just be like, nope. The only thing that actually fucking mattered was this one thing. And you're good. Every, or if you didn't do that one thing, you're fucked. It's like, well, that's not fair. Like, well, who the fuck said you get to make the rules? No. This, you're living in our shit. You're not living in your shit. Like, yeah, in your head, maybe. But so after that, it was just seeing that sadistic side of the universe, I guess, where it's like, like I said, a kid pouring a fucking water bottle on an anthill is like it could legit be like an asteroid coming out just to destroy a planet. You know, to be that level of simplicity of like thinking of what that actually entails on our level, like an asteroid actually coming down and burning everybody alive and blah 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 blah. But people have already died worse. Like war has been worse than that, and we've done that since we could. You know what I mean? Like ever since we started forming tribes, it was like. They have something we need. Let's go kill them and take everything. And then the people who are left are our slaves. That's just been going on since the beginning of time. So like, as we say, like, oh, humans are the universe as well. Like, yeah, all the evil shit we do is part of the universe as well. Like it's, I don't necessarily know what on the balance of to say, like I said, positive and negative energy, all that. I understand the limits or what energy is. Understand is an actually not a good word. I know there's energy. <laughs> I know there's I'm energy. Aware there's something going on. Right, exactly. Exactly. No, so, I hear you. I hear so you. So with the sadistic side, it was just like I said, when people were reaching out, I just no longer felt compared to be the per- uh, compelled to be the person that's, you know, like, hey man, hold on for another day, blah, blah, blah. I became super sadistic and it was just like in my head, I'm sitting here thinking, like, if you're gonna do it, do it. I'm not saying that's the right answer. I'm not saying people should think that way. This is just kind of where I've gotten to in life. So like, for instance, just understanding the traumas of life or just how nasty and fucked up life can be. I had a, my, I don't even know what you would call him, but I'm his daughter's godfather. We had a little falling out and he ended up just, I don't even know what the fuck happened, but he ended up, he's dead. As of recently, he's he dead. He fell 30 stories to his death or something like that. My first thought was whether it was suicide or was fucked up and fell, like, you stupid fuck. That was really my first thought. Like, whatever it was, like, you got two kids at home, you got a wife, like, you're just a stupid fuck. You're angry. I didn't feel sympathy or remorse or anything like that just because that's just... So, like, to go... I'm, I'm not telling anybody to be like me. Let me make that clear. I'm not telling anybody to have the same thought process as I am. I'm not telling anybody that should think the way that I do. But this is where I'm at in life, at least. It's okay, though. Oh, yeah. I'm I'm very comfortable with the person I am. I'm very comfortable having these types of thoughts in this sense. I've just become so comfortable with death, where it's not something I feel like it's People are just like, because it's unknown, they have to grasp onto the known. Like, I've already dipped a lot into the unknown. I've loved everything, even the dark side of it. Like, I've had trips that were really dark, and I came out. I was like, that was pretty fucking cool. Like, seeing the demons, and she just to know that shit's there, I guess, to just have that understanding of the opposite side. It just makes the goods or the side that you enjoy that much better. Well, psychedelics will do that, right? They'll show you 
they'll show you that this isn't it. This isn't all of it. And that's a comfort to some and to others that it's anxiety provoking. It really, it depends on where you, where you are in your journey and when you experience that. Um, so I can, I can understand where you come from and I can understand why you think the way you think, you know, you've been, you've seen a lot of things. A lot of people will never have to see because people like you went and did it instead. And so, you know, I can, I can respect where you're at, um, in all of that. Um, what is the next step for you? You said that you're going to be finishing up your schooling and you've got your business. Um, continue expanding these businesses. Uh, my time in SoCal is definitely coming to an end. Here within the next year and a half is when I'll probably end up moving, um, picking things up there. Next, it's a lot of entrepreneurship or just not necessarily entrepreneurship would be the right word, but just figuring out the things that I want to do in life and continuing with them of whether it's how far I want to go with the fitness side of things or just in whatever aspect. I never, I never limit myself. That's for sure. I've, I've found that I've never needed to limit myself that that was a big confidence boost at 18, getting to where exactly where you wanted to be in life and everything you wanted to be in life. At the same time, there's all those hard life lessons of like, Oh, you wanted to be the best? Guess what? You don't just graduate and now you're one of them. Like now you're fucking thrust in this shit. You gotta work twice as hard as you ever did to try and become still this person. So like having those life lessons in life is just like I understand the process of it all. So whatever I do decide to do on next, where uh just specifically in my career-wise, but the ultimate goal is commercial real estate. Um investing in apartment complexes, finding investors to invest in with me, which is, it sounds a lot more, it's mainly just family, you know, like, Hey, I'm that, that's my biggest thing is now just providing my family with the type of luxury that I can have, not needing necessarily a job where, you know, getting my parents to invest in these apartments or my family members, siblings, aunts, uncles, whoever, just like, giving them a way to invest their money into something that's going to continue making them money so that can give them an early retirement. Or my plan is to, by the time I'm 40 to just be doing real estate so then I can just spend all my time with my children. I want to help provide that for my, at least my siblings. Fantastic, man. Where do people find uh, your training programs and things that you're doing now? Um, through my Instagram. Okay. So my Instagram, so it's, I just started the personal training and online coaching in February and it took off pretty quick to where I had 13 clients in a few weeks where I was still just trying to figure that part out. So like the step of advertising and things like that are still kind of going, but just also because I've invested in certain things and now I have my money working for myself. I'm also not trying to make this like a, like a full time. I need a hundred clients so I can drive a McLaren or whatever the fuck it is. Like I'm just I'm cool with living the life that I am and adding a client or a time and a two. But yeah, you can reach me on Instagram. I gotta find a better Instagram handle. I've had that thing for so fucking long. And I've that's been one of the things in my head of just like I gotta find something more professional, but then at the same time I'm just like, fuck everybody, you know what I mean? Like if I want that to be my Instagram handle, I'll just keep it. Exactly. I don't see why you would change it now. It doesn't make yeah, sense yeah, exactly. to change it now. So can you uh, tell everybody your Instagram handle so they can go and follow you? ASAP, A-S-A-P, underscore X, underscore Fresh Prince. Had to make you say it. So ASAP always stands for always strive and prosper. 
And then the Fresh Prince comes from born, born and raised in Philly and now living in SoCal. That's, I love it. I love it, dude. I'm so glad you came on the show this week. And uh, I do really appreciate you being so open and honest and vulnerable about everything. It's been uh it's been an honor and we'll have to have you on one of the mental health Mondays so you can chat live with everyone. It'd be great. Absolutely. I'd love to. Thank you so much for having me on and next, preferably hopefully in the future. If we do one of these again, I would love for it to be in person. I got you, homie. Don't worry. Trust me. We'll be uh, in the States soon enough. Right now we're dealing good, with what good, we've got to deal with up here. There and all that fucking craziness in Canada. So. No, I wouldn't recommend it. And I wouldn't even welcome you up here. I don't even tell anyone to come to our studio. I'm like, I'll come to you. Like, that was, don't even worry about it. Perfect. I love it, man. I love it. Well, you stick with me. Everyone else, we'll see you all next week.